is Easter. I'm super excited to share with all of you. Now, some of you might be looking at this cross going, wait a minute, I nailed my burdens to that cross on Friday. Where are they? Well, I did what I do, um, obviously, last year because of COVID, we couldn't do this. But the year before, we had done this where we brought our burdens up and laid it at the cross. And what I do with those is I have a special spot in my office where I have a, a kneeler and I pray. And it's got like a little enclosure, and it's all locked up there, so don't have to worry about anybody seeing them. But I didn't look at any of them. I kept them all folded, and I stacked them all up, and then I put them inside my prayer box next to the kneeler. So what I do is, as I pray for all of you throughout the year, I, you know, I'll put my hand on that box and pray for all of you. So whatever burdens you lay down to, to let go of, I'm going to be praying that um, in agreement with you, that those things are done, right? And a lot of times in life, the storms are still around us, right? But we, what we do is we learn how to trust God in the midst of those storms. So we did take those all down, and I put them in the, the box upstairs by my office. And so that's just where those are in case you are wondering. So again, if you haven't been here the last few times we've met, you can go on Facebook, you can go on YouTube, you can go on our audio blog to kind of catch up. So on Palm Sunday, we started at the beginning of the Holy Week as Jesus and his disciples came into Jerusalem, and we went all the way up to the Last Supper. And then on Good Friday, we started up at the Garden of Gethsemane and where he was arrested. We went through that entire evening. We read through all of that. And then we ended, obviously, with him and the resurrection. And we read through those passages in Matthew. Well, I want to go back here into the book of John because we have four different Gospels because Jesus was surrounded by 12 different guys. And, and so we have the different perspectives of what happened. Matthew was an educated man because he was a tax collector, so he had been educated by the Romans in keeping good records, being able to write letters, keeping track of things. And so Matthew did a great job of writing down details and kind of keeping track as he went. That's a great, that's really awesome. John was a fisherman, but he was very close to Jesus. And out of all the disciples, he lived the longest life. Um, many people believe because of when he was hanging on the cross, well, I believe this, when he was hanging on the cross, he still stuck around and he was protecting Mary, Jesus' mother, and brought Mary up to the foot of the cross as he was hanging there. And Jesus looked down and said to John, John, this is now your mother. And he looked at his mother and said, Mother, this is now your son. Because in the Jewish culture, the oldest son would always take care of the mother. So out of all the disciples who were martyred, John lived to be an old man. And many people believe it's because he was tasked with taking care of the Jesus's mother, and so he had many years to provide for her and take care of her. Well, John sat down, and what he did is he wrote out his encounter. And then we have Mark, who was an assistant to Peter. So Peter was also a fisherman, and so we have Mark's account, and he was there, but he really relied a lot on Peter. So when we read the the Gospel of Mark, we are getting more of Peter's perspective. And then we have Luke, who was a physician and was a trained man, and he was a very investigative person. He always wanted to know the whys. And so somebody had hired Luke to also write an account of what happened with Jesus. And so Luke went and actually found Mary, who was still alive, and interviewed her. And so that's why when you read through the book of Luke, you get a lot of Mary's perspective. So on Good Friday, we read through Matthew and saw Matthew's perspective. But I wanted to read through 
the day of his resurrection through John's perspective. Now, as I read through this, when he talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved, he's talking about himself. He never names himself in it, but he refers to himself as the disciple whom whom Jesus loved. But we read in other accounts, oh, it was Peter and John who ran down, so we know it was John. So we're going to start here in the book of John, starting in verse 20 or excuse me, chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, now this is the Sunday after he was crucified. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene had went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen laying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary... She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, she told them. She told them that he had said what that he had said these things to her. On the first evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may live in his name. You may have life in his name. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? I love just reading these passages in its entirety and being reminded of what happened and what Christ did by believing in that he not only died on the cross for our sins, but that he rose again, believing that he is God, that God came down for us. Now we know that it wasn't just those 12 who saw them. We also read here in 1 Corinthians, this is a letter that was written in chapter 15, starting in verse 3. He's reminding them of all of those who saw Jesus during those 40 days after he rose again. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, it says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Now the James here he's referring to is one of Jesus' brothers. His brothers had a really hard time with Jesus, but then after he rose again, James in particular became a very strong leader in the Christian church and was, at the time of that writing, the, the, the lead pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So we can see in many different accounts all of the, the facts and the witnesses. If, if any of this is hard for you, maybe you're a new Christian or maybe you still haven't accepted Christ, but you, you come because you have faith, I highly recommend the book, More Than a Carpenter. Um, there's, there's lots of different, the case for Christ where atheists have tried to prove, um, debunk the Christian belief and actually have gone to like to the Middle East or different places to look up some of the historical documents. And so if you want to strengthen your faith by understanding, I definitely recommend those books more than a carpenter or the case for Christ. But for most of us, I love how he tells Thomas, you know, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those, right? Because there's going to be those that come behind that believe even though we have not seen, and that's us. So we're blessed. Everyone say, I am blessed. I am blessed because I have heard the evidence. I have seen it. It's so interesting. I had a person on Facebook one time. I posted a Christian post. And, you know, if you follow my page, it's Pastor Mary Rafke, and it talks about me being a Christian. So I posted a Christian post, and someone put, well, I don't believe there is a God. And I'm like, well, that's okay. You know, like, I do. I've, I know him. I've met him. Like, like, he's real in my life. Like, I feel his presence, right? That'd be like somebody coming up to me and saying, I don't believe your grandma lived. And I'd be like, well, 
it's okay that you believe that, but I know her. I've got pictures of myself with her. Like, I've talked to her. She's held my hand. My grandma has lived. And it's the same way I feel with God. I, I spend time with him every single day. He talks to me. He wants that for you, too. He wants to be with you. He wants to let you feel his presence in his life. So, but let's focus here. I know I'm starting to preach, right? Let's focus here. It's Easter Sunday. We are remembering that he rose from the dead. Now, a lot of times what we do is we talk about the parallel between the Passover, that um, the lamb that was sacrificed in Egypt when the children of Israel were slaves. And when the night that, you know, the blood was shed and the blood was put on, the, the doorposts of the home, that was the day of the sacrifice, okay? So that was kind of like Friday when Christ was sacrificed, right, and his blood shed. But then there were a couple more days that had to go by before they had total freedom. And that would have been those three days when Christ was in the tomb, right? So what do I mean by this? So the Egyptians, they sacrificed the lamb. They put the blood on the doorposts of their home, the death angel had come through and killed the firstborn sons of all the Egyptians. So the next morning, when the pharaoh woke up and there was all this death, he was upset, right? He had seen the Jewish God come through with boils and with flies and with all these different plagues. And he kept dismissing and kept saying, I don't really think he's that great a powerful of a God, right? Like, I'm going to keep you. I don't care what he says. So finally, when the death angel had come across, all of a sudden now the Pharaoh finally says, okay, you can leave. Well, now they have to, in a hurry, gather all their belongings, grab all their stuff, and they begin to go, right? So first day, it looks like we can leave, right? Well, technically the first day they had the sacrifice, the second day now they can leave. Now they're traveling. All of a sudden now, Pharaoh has a change of heart, if you remember the story, right? So by like that third day, he says, wait a minute, I don't want them to go. I don't want to let go of all my slave labor. I want to build some more tombs and whatever they are, pyramids. And so he sends, which he is the enemy, after them, doesn't he? He sends the soldiers in the chariots, and they begin to chase. And now the, now the Jewish people are looking back, and they're telling Moses, you've brought us out here just to be slaughtered. We're walking, we've got little ones, we've got our elderly, we've got all our livestock, and we can barely make it. And now they're coming after us in chariots? They're going to kill us. See, the blood sacrifice wasn't enough, right? It was enough to get them that freedom, but it wasn't enough to defeat the enemy. Because the death angel only killed the firstborn of every family. So let's say there was 10 kids in that family. There's still probably at least five or six other sons that are now in the army coming after him. And see, for us as human beings living here on earth, the blood sacrifice that Jesus had is wonderful. It cleanses us. But we're still living hell on earth. We still have the enemies chasing us in our everyday life, don't we? They're coming after us. It's temptations, it's struggle, it's anxiety, it's worry, it's anger, it's hatred. And it comes after us. But we know what happened with the children of Israel, right? All of a sudden, they get to the Red Sea. And Moses is like, now what, God? And he says, put up your, you know, staff, part the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, the children of Israel, they go across on dry land. And it's not enough 
that they made it to the other side safely. But as they get all the way over the other side, the enemy thinks that they can use the same route. And as they come and they go across that river, all of a sudden, once everybody was through, Moses puts his staff down and he walks across. And the waters came. And what does it do? If you know your story, right, from Moses and the parting of the Red Sea, the enemy was decimated. The enemy was killed. They were defeated. And now they're on the other side and there's no more enemy. Now, I want us to recognize the parallel here. We always talk about Good Friday and how Jesus was a sacrificial lamb and how the blood was shed, and now we're forgiven. We can go to heaven when we die. But I want us to see the parallel of just like how the Egyptians had their enemy defeated when they went across the Red Sea, when Jesus rose from the dead, our enemies were defeated. Death was arrested, is what it says in the song, right? We need to now walk out the fullness of what this salvation means. It's hard, right? It's hard to say that I'm going to live through life not only knowing I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but that I can live heaven on earth while I'm here. I mean, we're supposed to pray for that every single day, in case you forgot, you know, the Our Father prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are literally supposed to pray, Lord, your will that is in heaven, let it be done here on earth. Let me have heaven on earth every single day. Most of us, the reason why we don't have it is because we don't ask for it. We continue just to run. We run from our enemies. Every once in a while, they trip us up, don't they? We fall down. We know we're still saved, but we fall down, we wallow in it, and then we get up and we still keep running in fear from our enemies. I'll people tell me, I don't want to talk about angels and demons, Mary, and I'll be like, well, why not? Well, angels don't scare me, but the demons scare me. Why? Because it's the Egyptians chasing me, and I don't know that I have authority to say, that's enough. But we have that authority with the name of Jesus. What he did on the cross, what he did when he rose again, He defeated hell and death. So now we can use his name to stop those enemies that are chasing us. But the reality is we don't recognize that, number one, most of the time. We just think, well, this is just life and I'm stressed. And that's fine. We do go through life and we're stressed. But every once in a while we have this awakening and realize, like, okay, I've been doing this all on my own. I've been trying to figure this out. Maybe I should ask God to help me. I remember having that epiphany. Um, after my fourth child was born, I was just, I was a cranky, angry mess. I was teased, right, how the kids used to call me monster mommy. In the middle of the night, if they had a problem, they wouldn't come wake me up. No, they'd go wake up Todd because <laughs> he's kind and nice. It's just like, they were like, yeah, don't wake up, mom. And I remember, though, one day saying, and I kept trying out of my own effort to be nice. And one day I finally had to ask the Lord, Lord, what is wrong with me? What is going on? Show me, help me. And he began to show me. He's like, I want you to read your word. I want you to spend time in prayer. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And I remember maybe six months to a year after I had made that decision, I had worked really, really hard. And and I was kind of proud of myself. There would be moments where like I normally would have yelled, you know, and I had like really kind of reined it in. And Todd wouldn't say anything, you know, and I think he just didn't want to burst the bubble. Like, I don't know what's going on, but she's better, so I'm not going to say anything. And we were at dinner one night, and I had said, I said, boy, I had really been really nasty probably a year ago. And Todd's like, yup. (laughs) 
And I looked at him like, oh, he did recognize. I thought maybe he never said anything. I didn't know he. And I said, I said, but I've been really trying harder and I've been doing better lately. And he goes, yep, she's a lot better. And I'm like, you, you've noticed? And he was like, yeah. And I'm like, well, how come you didn't say anything? He's like, uh-uh, I'm not going to jinx it, right? Like, I wasn't going to say a word. Like, but since I brought it up at dinner, and I was just like, but the difference was I finally asked for help. I finally asked for help. I finally said, God, I know I'm struggling with this. Help me. See, that's where we're at. We're at the point where we don't have to have Pharaoh's army chasing us. Yeah, we've already had the blood, been covered by the blood. We already have freedom. But man, they want to keep chasing us, don't they? They want to keep trying to grab us and pull us into slavery. And so number one, most of the time we don't recognize it. We don't realize we can ask for help. But then number two, the issue becomes we don't think we're worthy of it. Right? We think, well, but, you know, I, I caused this problem, Mary. Like if I just would eat better, then I wouldn't have health issues. So can I really ask God to heal my body when I'm not caused it? Or, you know, well, you know, the reason why I got these problems at home with my marriage is because I did this or I did that. Or, you know, if I wouldn't have made this choice five years ago or six months ago or this morning. I, so how can I ask God for help? But we talked about this on Good Friday. Remember, when they put the blood on the doorposts of the home, nobody walked and knocked on every single door and said, are you worthy of this? No. The blood is what made them worthy of it. Not their actions. What Christ did makes us worthy. See, we need to remember here that we don't have to stay in fear of the enemy. We can receive the blood on Friday that was shed for us and receive that resurrection power that we receive on Sunday because of he came to life. I want to show you guys something. It's really cool. Most of us don't talk about this. Um, but that's okay. You guys know I'm a, I call myself a word junkie. I just love God's word and I love to study it. And, and if you've ever come to a Bible study, I go in deep and, and it's at least an hour and a half. But I wanted to touch on this because I felt it was so important. See, most of us imagine the sacrifices of sin, um, you know, as they brought, would bring a lamb and it, they would be sacrificed at the altar on a regular basis whenever a person sinned. But actually what would happen is there would be different sacrifices for different things. And annually, the priest would do a sin offering for the entire community. Okay? And so it, we read about it here in Leviticus. And it might be a little bit different than what, when what you're thinking. So let's read it so I can explain it to you. In Leviticus chapter 16... It talks about this annual sin sacrifice that the priest must make. He does certain sacrifice for the community, and then he sacrifices a bull for himself and his family. Okay? So he makes himself worthy first, and then he, and then he does this for the, the community. It starts here in Leviticus chapter 16, and it starts in verse 5. And it says, From the Israelite community, the priest is to take two male goats for a sin offering. Two. Not one lamb. Remember, the lamb is the parallel back from when they got out of Egypt. But the annual sin offering for the community was two male goats. It says, he is to take two male goats for an, a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. So Aaron, who is the high priest, is to offer the bull, the ram, for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats 
and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats. One lot is for the Lord, and the other is for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Verse 15. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in the front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanliness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanliness. Verse 20. When Aaron has finished making the atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay hands lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall then send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness." So every year, the priest would take two goats, and one would have to die and the blood would be shed to bring them, make them clean. But the second goat was to remain alive and have all the sins put on it because they wanted this goat to go off in the wilderness to be free, to go as far away from the community as possible. So that way the sins were not only cleansed, but they were removed. They were removed out of the community. Now, what's interesting, and this is funny because of Tom Brady. You guys are going to laugh for a minute, but that's okay. I never heard of goat before. Has anybody ever heard of this goat? I guess it's greatest of all time or something, right? I was going to say, so Jesus is two goats, and we know he's the greatest of all time, right? Tom Brady might be a goat, but Jesus is two goats, right? So here's, listen, all right, hear me out. Jesus represents two goats. On Friday, he was the goat, the sacrifice that the blood was shed and died. And that forgive us of our sins. But on Sunday, he rose to life and he took those sins. Remember, he told Mary Magdalene, don't touch me for I have not yet ascended. Why didn't he want her to touch? Because he still had the sin. He wanted to ascend up into heaven and take that sin far away from us. So Jesus was both sacrifices for us. He not only cleanses us of our sins, but he takes the sins away. And when we hold on to our shame, when we hold on to the guilt, when we hold on to these excuses, when we hold on to these things, we're saying, all right, you can, your blood was shed. I'll, I'll be forgiven. I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but I'm going to hold on to the reminder of my sin. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to still struggle with it. I'm still going to let those demons that want to help me, you know, stay on me. And what Jesus did when he rose again on Resurrection Sunday was he wanted to not only have us be cleansed, but he wanted them to be removed. 
See, when you have it totally removed, that's not who you see yourself anymore. So I'll tell you all a little secret. I get up here and I say, I used to be an angry woman. I used to be monster mommy, right? Now my husband might be able to sit down with you for coffee and say, oh, she's still got her moments, right? But the reality is that's been removed from me. My temporary, you know, circumstance once in a while doesn't define who I see myself as and who as I live myself. So I don't get up here and say like, oh, I've conquered anger and I'm a perfect mother now. And all you moms are sitting out there going, oh, I just yelled at my kids this morning. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying like I am perfect. I'm saying I don't see myself as monster mommy anymore. Does not mean I don't ever get angry. See, when the sin is removed from us, it doesn't mean we don't ever fall into sin or have problems or have struggles. But that is not who we are. We are a child of the most high God. We are made cleansed. We have been made a new creation in Christ. It's who you see yourself. Do you see yourself as a child of God and as somebody new who he has made and you can rejoice in that? Or do you let that enemy continue to chase you and you think, well, I'm just a slave. You know how long the children of Israel kept saying, well, why don't we just go back? We had better food there. We had this. They provided this for us. But they were slaves back there. That's for why for 40 years they had to walk around until all the old ones had passed away and all those that were 20 and younger could live to go on into the promised land because they didn't see themselves as slaves. The older generation did, though, and he didn't even want to bring that mentality into the promised land. See, we need to let go. It says their chains have been broken because of what he has done. Now, here's the thing. You're going to hear this sermon once, and you're going to walk out of here and be like, oh, that's nice, and tomorrow you're still going to struggle. But I want you to grab a piece of paper and I want you to write down, I am free. I am, you know, whatever, right? Like I am filled with peace, even though you may be depressed. I am filled with joy, even though I may be angry. And I want you to claim hold of what he did for you and press on towards it, not looking back. And tomorrow will be a new day. And you might do a little better. And then the next day you might do a little more better, right? And the next day you're going to do a little better because you're making a choice to embrace and accept not only the goat that died, whose blood was sacrificed for us, but you're going to recognize that the goat had the sins taken and take it, removed it from you. You know that Bible verse says, he removes your sins as far as the east is from the west. If he's removed it, why do you still know about it? Because you held on to it. He's a gentleman. He'll only remove what you're willing to let go of. We see this here in Hebrews I love this. Here, in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 10, he's talking about, remember, a lot of these letters were written to a mixed uh, Christian group. What do I mean by that? There would be Jewish Christians and there would be Gentile Christians. Last time I checked, the majority of us were Gentile Christians. So what is the difference? Because it is really important. I have people pull scriptures out all the time at me and throw them in my face, and I'll be like, who's the audience? Like, was this written to Jewish Christians or was this written to Gentile Christians? And let's talk about it, right? So what do I mean by that? The Jewish Christians, they were raised with the law. And they were told that if they don't follow all the law, that they are going to go to hell, right? That the way they please God is to only follow the law. Well, then Jesus ascends into heaven. He tells them, I'll go into all nations, preach the gospel. They really didn't do that at first. So then the pressure begins to push them out. Holy Spirit fell on them. And then as they get pushed out, they begin telling Gentiles about Christianity and the Holy Spirit's falling on them. And then there's this big dilemma. Wait a minute, this guy's not circumcised, but yet he can speak in tongues? 
wait a minute, this person over here never doesn't even know what the Ten Commandments are, but yet she was just healed, and she's been blessed. And so then all of a sudden became this big, huge debate of, do Gentile Christians have to follow the law? And so they would write back, back and forth. And basically the disciples said, no, they don't have to. If the law worked for us, we wouldn't have needed Christ. Yes, the law helps us to not kill each other and to live a civilized way, and it brings so much health benefits to us. And, and in, in some of these letters, they're really, really cool. Like Paul's one of my favorite authors, like in the book of Rome, in Romans, that he wrote to the church in Rome. He kind of would do this back and forth thing. So one minute he'd be like, us Jewish Christians are amazing because we have the Jewish law. We're the most blessed. We're the most prosperous. We're the most amazing people in the entire world. And then he'd be like, but you Gentile Christians, oh my goodness, you're blessed. And then he'd go back and forth. But he really, you know, explained like the Jewish law is really cool. And it really is, right? I mean, how they knew about germs thousands of years before our modern technology knew about them. Like, they knew to wash your hands before you eat. I mean, that's just become something like, you know, like, or if somebody spits in your face, wash it off. If you handle a dead body, don't go near your other family for 10 days. Like, all these different things that scientifically we can look back now and understand why they did that. And so they didn't have plagues get spread around their villages like other people would have. So we know it had to have been God to tell them that. Like, who would think up in a desert with 100,000 people that everyone has to wash their hands before they eat? You know, I mean, who would think of that? But God did. So here we go. It's, we're in Hebrews, and there's this big debate about the law or what Christ did. What, what do we have to do here, right? And so he says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves, right? This, it's a shadow. We understand why we shouldn't commit murder, right? We understand why we should wash our hands before we eat and handle food. We understand the law, but that's not what saves us. He says, for this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice, repeated endlessly year after year. So what is he saying? He said the same sacrifice year after year, those goats being sacrificed, that wasn't enough to save us. He says, the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. It couldn't. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all. But it didn't cleanse them once for all, right? It covered them temporarily. He says, and they would no longer have felt guilt, guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices, those are annual reminders of the sins. It is impossible for the blood of the bulls and the goats to take away the sins. So we skip down then to verse 11, and it says, Day after day, the, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away the sins. But when the priest, when this priest, which is Christ, right, when Christ had offered for all the time one sacrifice for sins, he then sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he awaits his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says Jesus, I will put my law in their hearts and I will write it on their minds. What is that? That's our consciousness. We have the Holy Spirit in us. You know, here in America, modern-day America, we call oh, mom instinct, you go with your gut, 
we don't realize as Christians, right, that now because of what Christ did, we have the Holy Spirit in us. So now the laws are written on our heart. We, we don't feel compelled to hit somebody and murder them out of anger. We know better. We feel guilty for that, right? He says, I will put it in their hearts and I will write it on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. As far as the east is from the west. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, and with the full assurance that faith brings. See, we have to draw near to him now. What he did was for all of us, but will we draw near? Will we accept that? Will we recognize when Satan tries to remind us of our sins, say, nope, that's been removed. Jesus not only died for our sins, but he removed it. He was a scapegoat for us. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. If people are spurring you on towards judgment and hatred towards each other, that's not a God. They might call themselves Christians, but we're supposed to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. My prayer for all of you today is not only to receive the blood that and cleansing that Jesus did on Friday, on Good Friday for us, when he went to the cross, but for you to also have the freedom and know that your sins have been removed by when he resurrected. And now he is the living sacrifice, just like there were two goats, one that died and one that took the sin away and removed it. He came, he was with them for 40 days, and then he took it with him and he took it away. And remember that when all that guilt and the shame and the worry and the anxiety comes, that that's just the enemy coming in its chariots trying to get you, trying to pull you down. You've already been covered by the blood. They know you're forgiven, but man, if they can make your life miserable while you're here on earth, they certainly are going to try. Instead, let us spur each other on to good deeds, to love. To, to be filled with God's mercy and with his grace. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much oh, that you sent two sacrifices in Christ, that he not only died and the blood was shed, but that he was also alive and took the sin away. We thank you that you no longer remember or see us as sinners, but simply as your children. We thank you for the guidance of the law. We can, we can understand why it is so good for us to not murder and to not gossip or lie. But we also understand that your love is there with us even if we struggle, even if we don't live a perfect life, because you know we never can. That's why you sent Christ. So we receive Christ and we receive your hope. And we choose to draw near to you, Father God. Help us this week 
when we recognize that there's an area in our life that we need help in, may we ask for help, and we know that you will answer our prayer. In some cases, you may send a friend. You may, you may encourage us to go to a Bible study. In some cases, you'll just miraculously take something away that has been struggling, that has been a struggle for us. However you help us, we are so thankful, and we receive it. Open our eyes to your truth. Open our eyes to the blessings that you have for us. And I just, right now, in the name of Jesus, come against any demonic enemies that want to trip us up, that are coming after these children of you, Father God, that have accepted Christ. We ask you to bind the enemy and to remove it from our lives. We ask you to open our eyes and show us if there's any type of trap or distraction that the enemy continues to put in our lives. Help us, Father God, to be aware, but to also walk in peace and joy and confidence, not afraid, because we know that all we have to use is the name of Jesus. Give us your boldness. Give us your confidence to walk out our salvation completely, not only receiving the forgiveness of sins, but receiving your peace and your joy and the completeness of knowing that they have been removed. We love you, Lord, and we honor you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. The blessing shop is open downstairs. If you need anything, please head down there. If you need anything from the welcome desk, please check it out. We have church information, gifts for you. And if you want to sign up for anything, definitely sign up. And then we do have some gift bags for all the children. So don't forget, there's chocolate in there. So make sure you grab yours.